Welcome to Impact the World, the show for and about creatives, changemakers, and entrepreneurs. This is a conversation episode where a special guest shares with me what they are creating and the behind the scenes journey of their experience. Hello, welcome to today's episode of Impact the World. And my guest today is someone who holds a special place in my heart, Ayodele Cassell, who is a native New Yorker, and she has worked as an actor and a tap dancer and teacher for the last two decades. Hailed by Gregory Hines as one of the finest tap dancers in the world, Ayodele has really made it her mission and her passion to not only perform, but to really empower people through the medium of tap and dance. And she does a lot of outreach work and there are so many things that she does. So I'm thrilled to have her on the show for you to get to learn more about her and her path. And if you are a fan of this show and you want to help support us, you can do that by rating, reviewing, or subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts because that helps us reach more people with what we do here. Thanks so much and enjoy today's episode. So, Ayadeli, thank you so much for being here. It is lovely to have you on the show because of all of the amazing work that you do and also because you're a friend and I haven't seen you in person for years. Um, but it's, yeah, you're just a very special being in, in all ways. And I know that firsthand from spending time with you in life and also seeing the work that you've done. So welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm equally as honored and happy to be here. So thank you. <laughs> so I'm going to kick off before we dive into, you know, your your work and how how you got started. How has 2020 been for you? Because it's been quite the year for all of us in so many different ways. So yeah, yeah. What, what are the takeaways or the experiences that 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 have really impacted you this year? It's been revelatory um, in so many ways. Um, and it's uh, and I think it has been for many people, you know, uh, but for me, I think even early on before, you know, the pandemic, which had now has been taking most of 2020 at this point. But um, I don't know, I was like a lot of clarity came into it, uh, into my head about uh, how I want to live my life and the work that I was doing or that I am doing. Um, I felt like right around right before the pandemic really hit, I was thinking about impact and how to uh, basically amplify the the work that I was doing and the message that 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 I that I have within within my work and within my life and I was thinking about you know what are the different avenues I'm, I'm a obviously I'm a tap dancer I'm a choreographer and primarily for stage uh and stage works but um and I've had a great great career I've I have felt very fulfilled um and I was thinking about like how do we how do we amplify this? And I, you know, I started to think about different avenues of like, you know, creating work and wanting to do digital work more than stage stuff. And anyway, all those things came to mind. And also I started thinking about how as artists, um, we tend to like be in this hustle of every, you know, every week, every day, every month, every year, um, building and 
wondering when your next gig is going to be and then how sustainable is that and you know and and when you get to those victory moments of like having a show that's really successful or like you know booking a job that gets you residuals or whatever like in between those things it's like really exhausting you know and while it was wonderful when I was like young and out of college and I wanted to do you know just like live the artist life I don't know as I get older I'm just like you know what I think I want to spend more time with my family and not feel guilty about taking the downtime you know I want to just I want to sit down for a little bit so <laughs> when that, so when that I mean prior to the pandemic we had been my wife and I we had been on seven planes in two weeks time in like four different cities working and when we when we arrived back to New York on March 4th, um, which is right about the time that New York was starting to get those first cases. And they said, you have to sit, you know, you're going to, we have to quarantine. I was like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, so I actually welcomed that break. And, and I fully acknowledge that I was very fortunate because um, this year I was a, Ra uh, a Radcliffe fellow at Harvard University. And so I, you know, it was the first time in my entire artistic career that I had, that I had support, financial support to, for my studies. And so I, you know, didn't have the fear that so many of us faced of, so many people faced with like not having uh, income and employment and so many things get canceled, which did happen, but I was still under the bubble of fellowship. And so it was kind of, um, I felt okay with just sitting down and um, and just really taking stock of what, of what was happening around me, you know? Yeah. And it's funny because one of the things I know about you, not just from your work, but just from spending time with you is you have this beautiful kinetic energy. Like, you know, you, 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 but I, but I also totally get it. It's like that, that part of any of us, whether you're a performer or a speaker or, or a creator or someone who has to somewhat deliver those kinds of ups and downs, those peaks of valleys of like summoning that extrovert energy that has to put out into the world and then needing to go in and recharge. And so um, I'm curious, let's, let's kind of take it right back to the beginning because okay. you've had this career, but how did it all start? How did dance and tap first walk into your life? Mm. Uh, it actually waltzed into my life much later than maybe the average dancer uh most i think most people probably grow up like dancing in a dance studio in a very sort of you know specific trajectory you know but i um i started when i was 19 years old i started tap dancing when i was 19 years old um i am from the bronx i'm a new yorker and i I grew up in Puerto Rico for about six years my formative years when i was nine to, to 15 and um I, I struggled with language um, during those years in that when I moved to PR, um, I didn't speak Spanish. And so I remember feeling like that, you know, sort of isolation and, you know, um, just the heaviness of having emotions and, and thoughts and not being able to express them. And then, of course, as a child, you learn language very quickly. And I, you know, I got over that. And then I moved back to New York when I was 15. And so my English was out of practice. And so I remember being, you know, kind of going into my sophomore year, 10th grade here when I came back and like being a little hesitant to speak because the English wasn't so great and I didn't want to feel silly. And, you know, um, and so and I, and I tell the story as it relates to my uh, foray into tap dancing, because when I first saw tap dancing was at a, as a senior in high school and my English teacher uh, 
I think she was bored and she didn't want to teach English anymore. So she started teaching history of the movies, you know? And so, uh, and it was the first time that I saw all of these like old films and I got really, really in, uh, into them. Uh, and then one time, you know, when one of the classes she showed us Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers and I thought, oh my God, that's so cool. You know, um, I thought they were like, uh, I don't know, I just thought it was so beautiful and, and like yeah. just magical. Like it just kind of like transported you into like this like other, you know, kind you know kind of world um totally. so, yeah right um uh, and so i i used to like dream about being ginger rogers and i would go home and i would like you know make some pancakes after school and i would like watch their films and i try to like teach myself what, what i was seeing um not very good because i had no idea what they, <laughs> i didn't know anything <laughs> but uh but it was really intriguing to me you know um and so that was the first time my curiosity was piqued and then i had the incredible opportunity as a um as an nyu uh, student because i went to nyu for uh for acting and our sophomore year, um, we always had to take movement classes as actors to just know our bodies and so that we're not like robots on stage, you know? Yeah. Um, and so they offered Tai Chi and tap. And I decided to go and take the tap class because I thought, oh my gosh, this is my opportunity to be the Ginger Rogers experience. Yeah, <laughs> you know? totally. And that was my very first class was, I, you know, I remember going to Payless shoe source which you know I don't, I don't think that even exists anymore does it but oh, I, I saw one i saw one like nine months ago i saw oh, one. Yeah, yeah yeah they've made it they've made yeah, it yeah. anyway I, I got some shoes from that store because i wanted them to look like gingers i was trying to find the ginger look like shoe and you know and that's my first thing but but I, the reason i talked about language is because i realized that tap dancing, um, this was about a year or so into my studies after meeting a friend who was a real, like a real tap dancer. And he taught me that tap dancing was expression and that it was really um, a way for us to um, express our thoughts and express our feelings. And for some reason, the rhythmic aspect of it was much easier for me and uh, to, to uh, grasp onto. Um, and I think it was because of that understanding of, of the importance of communicating and my struggle to say or identify the words that correlated with my thoughts, like that, that, um, that struggle didn't exist when I started tap dancing. And I just, and I think that I, I, I embraced it because I, I just understood, um, I don't know, that importance. Yeah. And it's funny because a friend of Stevens taught tap um, and she used to say how good it is for the brain. So she was actually teaching much, much older people, I, I, you know, kind of people who were in their 70s or, and they were, many of them were primarily taking it, not just because it was a good community thing and it was good exercise, but it, it kind of kept, keeps your brain connected and alive. And um, Yeah, and it's fun. It's so fun. Totally. I mean, it really is. It's like, I, I always feel like everybody wants to tap dance in some way, shape or form. Yeah. It's intriguing, you know? Well, it's funny because when you were saying about Fred and Ginger, you know, my dad, my late dad, just loved tap dancing, like loved it. Mm -hmm. And um, so I kind of grew up with that same reverence. But I remember the, the same feeling you describe of you watch what they're doing with those routines. And it is kind of like watching magic because you can't necessarily understand how they're managing to make all that work and look so fluent and fluid. Yeah. What's it like for you on the receiving end now, when you perform, what do people say to you about their experience of watching you or you and your colleagues bring tap to the stage? I think the, 
what what I hear the most consistently is the joy that mm. they feel a lot of joy, and um, the irony in that um, is also that my name means joy has arrived. It's Yoruba, um, Nigerian, and it means joy has come home. Joy arrives to the house. All of, you know, all of that. So um, it makes sense to me when people say that. But also, I feel I do get a lot of joy um, in dancing. So it makes me happy that it's like the first thing that people most often say um, when they experience when they experience, you know, anything, you know, my, my work. Uh, yeah. So when did you go from, you know, this spark moment uh, while you were studying acting into becoming a professional tapper and choreographer? How did, how did that take place? I mean, Lee, if you had told me, even when I went to NYU, that I was going to have an entire life of, and career <laughs> tap dancer, I would have said, like, you are so, that doesn't even make sense, you know? But they're the best stories. Like, <laughs> you know, so many of us have that kind of story of this is not what I thought I'd be doing. And I always, I always love those stories. Yeah, I, you know, because I was doing it because, as I said, I, I, it was something that sort of fulfilled my the curiosity that I had when I was in, I mean, in high school when I saw them for the first time, and I was really intrigued by it because of, um, just because of how it felt when I was doing it, and, um, but I think that, uh, I don't know, the, I think the reason that it sort of stuck with me. Uh, wasn't because I had decided now I'm going to be a choreographer, I'm going to be a tap dancer, or I'm gonna, that's the career I'm going to pursue. But I was really just so uh, committed to learning and and being a student uh, and, and without any kind of expectation other than me wanting to just get to know the dance better, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think what was happening simultaneously was that it was really making me whole in a way that I could not have... Uh, anticipated. And what I mean by that is uh, very early into my studies, when I met my, my friend who was a, fr he, well, he ended up being my friend. He was a freshman and I was a sophomore. His name was Bokari Wilder. And he was, a, he had grown up tap dancing. He was like steeped in the culture and he taught me about the history of it. And, um, and when he taught me about it, this being like, you know, um, an African-American art form that was born in this country and, and the, the origins of the form and how it, be, uh, it began when, you know, African people, when they were brought here and, and, and enslaved and how they would communicate with drums and they had their rhythm and how the rhythm was so was communicative and that they could start revolts across plantations just through rhythm and that, that then the laws came into, into you know, um, the slave codes of 1740 and they banned the drums and what happens to an individual when your mode of expression is to, you know, to hit uh, an, an instrument and you don't have the instrument and your spirit is, has to communicate in that way. The next thing you do is you, you know what I mean? You use your feet and you use your body, you use what's available to you. So, and for me as a black and Puerto Rican uh, young person at the time who um, didn't see much representation and, and in fact, any kind of images that were of black people on television and or film were primarily negative mm -hmm. um, to know and, and having experienced, you know, racism as a young person, like to know that 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 the form that I was so intrigued by was rooted in this glorious, really dignified uh, expression of resistance and joy and music and love and all everything in between. I was like, this is 
something I want to be a part of for the rest of my life, you know? So, so it kind of, so in answer to your question, the short is that it just sort of happened that my, and I say sort of happened because we all know that energy is real mm -hmm. and you're, you know what I mean? And so it was like my attention to it and my uh, intrigue in it. Um, and I think the love and the care that I put into it sort of set me up to be, uh, to meet people who were going to support that. You know, and that's when I started meeting uh, when I met Bakari and Savion Glover and Gregory Hines and, you know, and um, and I was and I started to really kind of be in the community and it just sort of it sort of happened, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, hearing that. And it's funny because one of the things I, I was reading some interviews with you prepping for this conversation and something that really struck me that I wasn't really as soon as I, I read it, it made total sense, but I hadn't really thought about it. Tap is an art form that carries the history of black men and women. And, and, and hearing that origin story is, is mind blowing, but it, it makes so much sense because there is a power in tap that is very, I don't know, it's hard to, it's hard to articulate, but when I hear the origin, it all makes sense. Yeah. I, I love, I love the word power being associated with it because um, tap dancing, I think over the last, you know, it's a very young art form compared to ballet or something. Mm. But I think uh, there's a lot of misconception and and about it that it's because of minstrelsy that it's something to be ashamed of or that it's something that is frivolous and and it's actually the quite uh, quite the opposite. I think tap dancing and the history of tap dancing holds so much uh, of of the story of not just America but the story of Black people, the story of of the of, of entertainment, um, the story of a. Uh, you know, whatever appropriation and equality and, 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 and gender inequality. And, you know, it's just, it's just so, uh, it's pretty deep, mm. <laughs> this form. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because one of the things I've witnessed with you over the years, and we even just talked about it before we started this interview today, is you're really passionate about trying to elevate other people and, and let other people come into the art form. And, so, so can we maybe talk about Operation Tap for a moment and what that is and, and why and how you conceived it? Oh, yeah. So Operation Tap um, is um, a venture between myself and two of my friends, um, Anthony Morigerato and Mike Minnery. They're also tap dancers. Um, and I believe that we started it in 2014. Um, you know, Anthony had just uh, had a lot of success on uh, So You Think You Can Dance. He had was a choreographer on there. So um, he had he had this impulse to use this attention that he was getting to sort of amplify, you know, uh, the message further. And so we sort of, we teamed up to create a resource for um, tap, tap dancers, the tap, tap enthusiasts, tap students, tap teachers, um, uh, you know, around the country. Uh, we wanted to educate on on like the history of the form and then also really just kind of give people an entry point uh, if they wanted to start tap dancing and also for those that were already tap dancing like let's say they found themselves in the middle of the country where maybe they didn't have access to teachers or uh, dancers that were you know that had a different level of understanding um, that we could sort of eliminate that barrier by creating it online and so um, and so I think I think we were we were you know pretty successful in our venture. So um, it is 
it's two things that, you know, we do have like a, a subscription where if you want to like learn class, you know, like take classes all month, you can. Um, and we put out new content every single week. Um, but we also have this community on Facebook that has really, really grown over the last, I don't know, five years where it's just like for every everything tap dance, you know, and we have a lot of free uh, like lessons, short, you know, short lessons. And we do like music, mus uh, musicality challenges and technique challenges. And um, yeah, it's I, I'm, I'm really proud of the the, uh, the effort and the venture for sure. What's been the most because um, I'm, I'm sure some people watching this might be thinking about setting up their own thing around whatever it is they do in the world, too. What would you say was the most unexpected challenge for you in running and holding and co-running a group like that? What, what, what's the most challenging aspect of it that you've experienced? Um, with Aberration Tap? Yes. Yeah, I think uh, because, as I said, we're six years into it. And we, when I tell you that we put out new content every week, <laughs> like that is like real. So, and without a break, like we've never missed a week of, of new, of new content. So I think maybe juggling our own personal uh, careers and lives, and then also sort of maintaining um, this resource, you know, maybe that that's, that's a challenge, but um, it's all, it's all manageable. Um, yeah. But I would say that, you know, you want to be consistent. I think, you know, I think consistency in anything is key, you know? Yeah. So for, for that, do you find that what's going on in your life can inspire the content or are you having to, you know, go back oh, and go, I already did this two years ago. You know, how, how does oh, that work for you? Well, well both those things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, I think I did this. Did I do this? You know, <laughs> um, but um, no, very often it is like, you know, we'll, I, uh, we will share, I can, I think I can speak for all three of us. We will share things that we're working on in real life, like projects. Mm. It's not like, um, uh, one thing I can say that I love about, uh, my friends and, you know, Anthony. And, and, and one of the things that I actually admire in myself is that there is no separation between what I would do and what I'm like past, you know, sharing with um, a student. So mm -hmm. it's not like, oh, you get the, this thing that is not as valuable. Like I very often, like throughout my years um, teaching, you know, I, a lot of the work that I, um, that I've performed and set for professional stages, I've worked with, with young people, you know, and we're like, let's, you know, and I've used choreography and choreography phrases that I've worked with them on. Um, I feel like I, it's like, I feel like it's such a privilege to, to be in communication with, with, um, when you're creating with anybody who wants to be in the room with you. Um, and I, I don't know, I just think it's like, I, I, I win, they win. We all, we all win. <laughs> so true. Yeah. Don't hold you know? back. I mean, I, I think that's the kind of, I, I don't know where that came from. There's kind of this scarcity old mentality around that sometimes. Whereas I, I don't think that, I don't think that's a good way to live, to experience your life. And it's no, it's no way to serve others either. So I'm, I'm with you on that. Just um, be as generous as you can all, yeah. you know, all the time. And, and you're going to have a better time. Everybody's going to have a better time. Yeah, there's no shortage of ideas and there's no shortage of like creativity. Like it's like, it's literally endless if you make yourself available to it, right? Yeah. And another thing that comes up for me, you know, speaking, speaking about your wife, Toria, and, and for anyone listening or watching. So um, I met you because Toria, your wife and Stephen, my husband were dancing together in the Lion King for many years. So 
That's how we all got connected. I know you two are very passionate. And I remember talking to you about this four years ago. You're very passionate about the work that you do with young people. And I've always, I've always noticed that about you guys, that you're really into mentoring others through the work that you do and teaching and kind of handing on, handing on, handing on legacy. Mm-hmm. How is that for you two to work together as a couple in, in that way? That must be, that must be rich and, and, and different to the things that you each do separately. Yeah. I mean, I, there's like nobody I want to spend time with. Like, you know, even during this pandemic, people are like, how are married people? Like, you know, <laughs> are they like fighting? And I'm like, oh my God, she's like the best person to, <laughs> yeah. to be quarantined with. Kind of like good confirmation you're with the right person, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So, I mean, I've always, I, I value her own experience, her own creative life that she, an artistic life that she has led. And she's such a generous person. Um, and I think that the thing that we have in common is that that through our careers as dancers, you know, most most artists, I don't know if this is an absolute fact, but I think I think I can, I'm, I'm pretty confident to say that most artists, especially when they're younger, one of the ways that they support their artistry in their, in their lives is by teaching. And most often you're teaching in dance studios or you're teaching in programs that are, you know, um, that have a lot of young people. So we've always, that's actually how we met. We met teaching at a, at a cultural arts facility in the Bronx for young people. It was an after-school program. This was in 1997, you know? So, um, I don't know. I, I think that, um, that is, it's just something that we've always done. Uh, as I said, it's how we met and going back to that concept of how there's no separation between young person, adult or good information and the, you know, the lesser information. I think she, our our philosophy is that it, it is rooted in mutuality and and respect uh, for young people and and I think that I can safely say that we both feel like even though we might be in leadership positions when we are working with young people that we know that they are also teaching us you know totally. and we don't know everything and you know we have to listen uh, and and I I love I think about the people that supported me when I was a young person and, and, and I had dreams and I remember the focus and the attention and the guidance that they gave. And I don't know, I just feel like it's important to pass that on yeah. to, to young folks. I agree. And it's kind of weird, isn't it? When you realize you're at that age, <laughs> it's kind of like, you're like, Oh, you know, I got, Oh, I, I reached. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. I, I definitely like over the last five, six years, I've been in that position <laughs> in various and you suddenly are like, oh my God, you know, I'm 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 now the age that X, mm-hmm. Y, or Z person was to me when when they were like, you know, the holy grail for me. And I'm not, you know, I don't mean to ped- I don't I don't mean all mentors are pedestaled, but for me there were some some adults who, you know, I really credit with saving 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 a part of my life and saving my mental health and saving my emotional health in ways that I couldn't get from other people and that I desperately needed in order to kind of get through that difficult transit of like teenage years through your early 20s, which I think is a tough time and chapter and massive growth spurt for anybody to go through. But especially if you've got special certain needs that are outside the mainstream or you're not getting it fulfilled at home, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I, for me, you know, I've always been teaching, um, I, you know, as long, as long as I've been, almost as long as I've been like really uh, dancing, I, I've been in the position of being able to teach. And my, I have a lot of students who are now like in their, you know, mid to late twenties. And I'm not that 
I'm pretty young myself still, but um, it's so nice to like, it's crazy to sort of, sort of see them when they were like eight and, you know, and like now at like 25 and have or whatever, 26 and, and have like careers. And it just, it makes me so happy. It's one of like the joys of my life was, is fantastic and their lives like that. <laughs> so what was the fellowship like you were, you were sharing that, that, I mean, that must've been incredible. It was, it was incredible. Um, it was something that I have, I was just talking about it this morning to Toria. I'm like, do you realize that I have never, that was the first time that I've experienced that kind of institutional support and financial support in my entire like career. Um, you know, um, I was one of 50, 51 uh, fellows this year, uh, 2019, 2020 year um, at Radcliffe. Um, we were, there were scientists, engineers, mathematicians, artists, writers, musicians. Um, I was the only tap dancer. Um, and uh, I was, it was really exciting. I was really proud um, to be there. Um, I was very grateful, not only for um, the validation of them seeing the value in my work and the work that I'm pursuing, that I'm still pursuing, you know, um, but also for the financial support, which I can't understate enough. Like it is so important for people to be able to live mm. well, you know, and um, and healthily and mm. and and really work and pursue pursue what they want to pursue, you know, so I, I was really thankful for that. It was an incredible experience. That's great. And what happened when COVID hit? Did did the year end early for everybody there or you all just kind of had to? It did. So, you know, it ended, crazily enough, it, it ended right after all of the fellows have to do a presentation of their, a lecture of their, of the, either the work that they, uh, that they've been doing up to that point in their year academic year or if it's if they happen to do it earlier in the year then they can just talk about what they plan to pursue and or the work that they have done leading up to this and so i had been uh, invited by the dean dean tamiko brown nagan to deliver the the lecture of the year it's like you know the julia s phelps lecture it is the year it is the the thing of ratcliffe um and it was set for february 11th and i got a chance to you know present my work it's you know it's on youtube my diary of a tap dancer um ideas and it went really 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 well um and then shortly after that like what three weeks after that yeah. it all kind of came to a head and they slowly like everything it was like the slow shutdown well it's mm -hmm. not you know, <laughs> yeah. don't come in and then it was like get out <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah it, it it ended for us physically there like by by march but we were as i said we they kept our fellowship through the you know through the end of the year so yeah. you know curious because you know we've talked a little bit about the young people that you've taught over the years and worked with what about the the people who are younger than say us mm -hmm what gives you hope about these next generations that are coming up? Like, what do you see in them that, that gives you hope for the future? Because I think hope is something we all, we all want and need. And there's certainly, it's been a, a very challenging year in many different ways around what's our hope for the future and how can we build a better future in all the ways that we need to. And there are many. What yeah. do you see in, in the young people coming up now that, 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 that gives you hope about their generation? Confidence, 
uh, the purpose and their purpose and their like um, sort of like they don't hesitate to to express themselves and to stand up for what they believe in and what they think is right. You know, um, I think and and their their ability to express that like the way they really are literally using their voices and their their you know their thoughts and their ideas to um to challenge systems and and when i mean by systems you know i'm talking about even like in school yeah. <laughs> you know for them to be call out you know when when they feel like somebody's being treated unfairly or if the or if the the work structure is like not supporting them in the way that they feel like they're going to succeed and you know be able to deliver like i find i see them really using their their voice like that and 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 i think about um you know like i remember my mom I, I asked my mom um about my grandparents i was like do you um what, what do you remember, like, having conversations with them? Like, what, what would they talk to you about? And she was like, they didn't talk to me. Like, they, nobody was asking me what I thought about anything, you know? <laughs> she was like, it's not like we had conversations. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I, I didn't feel so... Um, you know, I, I didn't feel, like, oppressed as a young person in terms of, like, my mom didn't say, like, shut up to me or anything like that. But it was still, like, the sort of unspoken residual, like, you know, there's, like, uh, you know, I'm... I'm I know everything. I'm the adult and I know everything and you don't know anything. And just, you know, you know, you could sense that sort of energy. And I think that um, I feel like the people in my generation who have like, who have been able to mentor younger, like these teenage teenagers, um, I don't know. I think that we're more open and we want, we literally say, what are you thinking? What do you think about that? How does, you know, how does that make you feel? What's, what do you think the answer is? Like, we're actually like asking them um, to express that. And I think in turn, it's really developing their it develops their confidence you know um yeah and their critical thinking i, I love it I, I i have faith in them yeah me too i love what you said because it you know it's one of the things that i think one of my biggest struggles when i was a young person was the lack of expression that i could feel in the room or the world and i didn't you know i didn't understand that at the time i just kind of turned it all inward with self-destructive behaviors until i was able to get on top of it and get over it and then and then ironically, you know, now the job that I do involves giving expression to emotion and the unseen and working through it. So, of course, you know, we I think we we often end up working in the area that that we needed or that we benefited from. But it's great because the generations now they don't have in a way we were the bridge generation from the generation that didn't want to talk about their feelings or anything. Yeah. And this new generation, they're like, well, yeah, of course I'm going to talk about my feelings. Like just to <laughs> them, it's just not even, a, you know, whereas to us who had to kind of, you know, if that's kind of maybe what we had to, one of the things we had to beat the doors down around. Mm-hmm. Now I, I really, I do, like you, the confidence and the fire that I feel in the younger generation that I don't feel that people, I was born in 76, people of my era, and I've got friends around the world, I don't see quite that same fire or confidence, even though different cultures, different friends in different countries might have a bit more expression confidence than those of us who were born in England or, you know, but mm-hmm. just in general, there is a, there's a fire. And I think there's a, there's a, we haven't got time to mess around because they're coming in at a very different time to how we were. We were still kind of sheltered from a lot of the stuff that's going on now and the climate and all of that. So right. yeah, they've they've kind of got to they've got to be and are warriors in a way. Mm-hmm. 
in a different way. And I, and I think we have to support them, whether we're, you know, like me in our 40s or our 70s or 80s. I think one of the things I really hope that we see change in our generation is certainly in Western culture, this elimination of our elders. Uh, you know, to me, I've always had friends who are way older than I am, like 30, 40 years. And I've always had a reverence for that age mm. and that perspective and that many years on the planet. And you've seen plenty of cycles, whether it's government cycles, whether it's, you know, cycles of life. And it's interesting how we have, if you look at popular culture, you know, we're very youth, sex, mm -hmm. power, violence, yeah. uh, yang energy focus. And there's, there's very little yin, there's very little wisdom, there's very little space for presence. And I, I, I feel like, you know, I'm hoping and I'm, I feel like I'm seeing this, that one of the things that we're beginning to reclaim is is our elders and and our need for the wisdom of our elders um, rather than kind of just them being sidelined. I agree with you 100. Um, percent I was gonna. Two things came to mind. One, um, that's something that I have been really fortunate to um, un like really understand and practice through the art form of tap dancing, because one of the things, if, if you're a serious practitioner, the first thing you know you learn about is the history. And then, and I happened to grow up in a time um, when a lot of um, our master dancers, tap dancers were still alive, like, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy Slide and Buster Brown and, you know, Henry Latang and, and, and Gregory Hines, you know, who actually left us way too soon. Um, but we, um, one of the things that we knew or that we were taught coming into the forum is that we don't know nothing because they've been doing it, <laughs> you know, like, they, and so we really look to them like we like i mean we idolize them we would go you know when we were in shows and jimmy slide was dancing we would just be in the wings like just staring at you know just trying to absorb all of the information and so there was a lot of reverence for older people and for for, the, for those older um dancers and you know sadly as obviously as the years go on we start to lose more and more of them and yeah. um but uh i'm so thankful for getting to uh really pr like uh, practice that. And also, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know many people who like got to know their great grandparents, but I was like, I knew many of my great grandpa, you know, my great grandparents. Wow. Yeah. I have a very vivid, you know, memory of them. Uh, my grandmother's still alive. Actually, her birthday was, uh, uh, three days ago. She just turned 88. Wow. Um, Happy birthday. That's a good number. It's a good yeah, a special number. Yeah. She just turned 88 and she is like, I mean, completely with it, you know, and, yeah. you know, and, but for a few aches in her knees and, you know, yeah, with the blood pressure, sometimes, you know, she's very, she's, she's good. And I'm, it makes me so happy to be able to, I called her, I said, grandma, I was like, happy birthday. And she's like, oh, you know, um, it doesn't, it doesn't get so exciting at the, you know, I said, well, I'm excited that I get to still call you on your birthday, you know? <laughs> But I agree. I, and the other thing it made me think about with the young people, so like the flip, the the flip of the coin with the confidence that the, you know that the young people that I come in contact with have is that I think sometimes you know they feel like because we give them the space that then they that they've arrived to all the knowledge. And I'm like, okay, yeah. yes to all of your feelings, you're entitled to them, and you know you're wrong about this thing. You know, and, you know, you're not always right about every single thing just because the idea and the thought came to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's so true. And I think also there's, that that's part of the design when you're that 
age, especially if you're like kind of late teens, early 20s, there, there is, and I remember this kind of looking out and seeing this, not just my own experience of this, there is this kind of, you've got to prove yourself. You're kind of going to go into the world and you're going to do it your way. And, you know, mm-hmm. even if you're not strongly rebellious, there is that drive because that's a, that's kind of natural instinct yeah. um, to kind of push out of the nest in a way. But yeah, the other side of it is, um, yeah, there's a lot to learn. And uh, I don't know about you, but I remember as many, as many like stressful, like emotional moments in my 20s than in my teenage years, if not more so. Like I feel like my <laughs> 20s was like, whoa, there's a lot, you know, there were great times, but it is, it's, I'm struck by how as a kid, I thought growing up meant getting to 19 or 20. And as an adult, I kind of feel like unless you have responsibility very young or you have very specific life circumstances, it's kind of 30 onwards that, that to me, the, the, the real world of adulthood begins. So I do think we, we all need support. And I, I sometimes have a good friend who is kind of mad at a young person they know in their life. They're like, oh, he's so entitled. And I was like, well, he's, he's 21. And, you know, so, so have a, you know, and I, I get, I understand that you're annoyed at him and I understand, yeah. but have some compassion, you know, because he's, he, these things that he believes, not all of them are going to play out for him or they're not all going to play out the way he thinks they're going to play out. Some of them might, but they're not all going to. And there's going to be a little bit of a crash and there's going to be a need for support. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it was, it, was, it was her stepchild that she was struggling with. So, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so true. Um, I don't know. I, I was going to ask you what, uh, like, when did you turn your focus into, um, you know, like, being a responsible citizen of the world (laughs) of like, you know, by taking stock of like how you are, how you feel, how are you walking through the world? You know, how does your energy affect other people? Like how does your own energy affect yourself and your mind development and your heart and your spiritual? Like when did, when did that come to like, I think it's, I mean, it's every day and ongoing, right? (laughs) Um, Cause like everybody 2020, I feel like 2020 raised the bar for all of us in like so many ways. Um, But I think I first started to become I would say emotionally literate. And for me, that was a breakthrough moment because so many of what I experienced as imbalance was my kind of lack of awareness or my lack of consciousness around energetic and emotional waves that were moving through the world that I was affected by, but I hadn't figured out yet. So I would say I really started to get more emotionally literate and started to have awareness and understanding around, oh, this is someone's anger reaction and that affects me and that affects these people this way. And this is how the behavior plugs into the emotion. This is how their triggers. I really started studying that in my late teens, early twenties, but was really avidly on it from like kind of 24, 25. So it was my passion, um, but I never thought it would be my work. But of course it kind of follows that your passion ends up becoming your work. Because like you, if you'd have said to me, because I went to drama school and I trained it as an actor, but I already knew I wanted to leave acting. I was just, I was just kind of completing what I'd done since I was six years old. So I was like, I should do this. It's what I've always done. It's what, but I was already bored of it and needed to do other things. And it was there that I think it was at that training um, that they really started exposing us to psychology and all these other things. And I was way more interested in the psychology aspect 
than I was of ever like kind of then trying to perform. I always found rehearsals more satisfying than performances in some ways um, because it's a process and it's, it's creative yeah. and it's exploratory. And, and to me, the performance was, was always magic and had a certain thing to it and had a shamanic energy, but it was the whole process. And, and what I realized is, is it was human understanding and in a way, shamanism. Like I, I, I think if you've been in the theater or if you've been in performance, and you've studied shamanism, you can see the direct correlation between those two. It's a very spiritual. So yeah, yeah kind of been 20 something years that it's been a big focus for me. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. We keep living, we keep growing, we keep, you know, it just keeps unfolding. Um, yeah. You know, something I wanted to ask you specifically because I think 2020 has put a really big focus on Black Lives Matter and not just that movement, but this theme in our world of let's look at systemic racism, let's look at our bias, let's look at where we've been ignorant unbeknownst to us or beknownst to us, depending on who you are and what you stand for, I guess. As much as I wish the events that have pushed us into this awareness hadn't happened, it has been really heartening to see much more focus, conversation, healing, discussion, discomfort kind of rise to the surface in a massive way this year around that. And given that you've already been working in those areas and standing for that and kind of actively in those communities, what has that been like for you and the communities that you work with as a, as a seismic shift this year? Um. In terms of like, which well, community? You can, yeah, yeah. Well, you can go anywhere because I mean, I know that, you know, it's been a very traumatizing year in terms of race yeah. in so many ways. Yes. And I yes. also see that the conversation and, and, and a movement towards creating actual change is, is yeah. more upfront than I've ever seen it in my lifetime. So it's kind of a melting pot really. But yeah, you, you can, yeah, you can sure. share with us whichever angle of that you want or all of the above. Yeah. The, uh, let's see. The first thing I think about, um, let's let, if I even speak about it in my dance community, in my tap community. And, um, you know, one of the things that I've been speaking to, like you said, like for quite some time is uh, the getting, setting the record straight about the origins of the form. For example, like when I, when I talk about like how tap began in the first place was through literally, you know, an act of you know, resistance toward, you know, the violence of being, you know, silenced, the violence of being silenced, you know? And, uh, and so I, I feel like in my community, my TAP community, because of the presence of Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly and Ginger and Rita Hayworth, and because of this, like what's popular, because what's popular when you say tap dancing, most people, you know, um, assuming they won't say Sammy Davis or Gregory, they're going to most likely say Fred, Ginger, Gene Kelly, Donald O'Connor. They're going to point to white dancers who were, you know, obviously movie stars and famous and supported because that was, they were perfectly primed to succeed in that way. Yeah, they um, were white enough to be that popular yeah. at that time, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and so there's been like this thing where if we say yes, but the, the, the progenitors of the form and the people who have evolved the form and how it, you know, and how it started were black people. There's a lot of like, 
tap is almost like a microcosm of the of, of america where like it's like if you say that something is black they're like well, white people can do it too and we get a lot of resistance for just being able to claim these origins like nobody's saying you can't dance or that only black people can tap dance or that nobody's saying that we're just talking about like can we can can our um ancestors can they get the shine for you know for for uh creating this um you know, in, in extraordinary circumstances, um, in extraordinary upset, uh, um, oppressive circumstances. Anyway, um, and so during this, um, it really started with the with the with George Floyd, and when George Floyd um, was murdered in the streets, and it was just and, and as it, things came to a head all over the world, and especially in this country, I I found in my community we were like, you know what, enough is enough. Enough is enough. I'm gonna, you're going to listen to this and you, you know, you're going to have to, um, you know, acknowledge the truth, you know, and stop gaslighting us or stop trying to, like, take away any kind of accomplishments that we, you know, that acknowledging our accomplishments doesn't take away from your life, you know. Um, and so I find that my community has been more vocal um, and, and more insistent on being heard and um, and yeah, just persistent about that. And I, and I'm happy about that. It's, it's, it's grown. And the other thing that I think has happened and what I think is really, um, gives, fills me with optimism and hope, despite all of the world being on fire, literally, <laughs> is that I feel the support and the, and the, um, the same kind of, uh, standing up for what's right from white people, from, mm. you know, all people. Totally. Um, and that to me is encouraging. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's that's one of the first things I think of. I think also um, in instant, like I, with Toria, cause she's a non, uh, the ED of a nonprofit um, called the Broadway. And one of the things, and I see her like challenging the structure of even the organization and who's on the board and why, you know, how do we get more diversity on the board? And mm -hmm. no, you have to listen to this. this is, you know, this is not anti-racism. If you say you're going to be anti-racist, then these are the practices. And so I find that people, um, you know, are just demanding finally, you know, equality and respect and just the acknowledgement that things have been unequal for quite some time. Yeah, totally. You know? No, and that, yeah, and that, that, and that's, and it's, it's interesting, isn't it? The defensiveness happens, mm -hmm. and there's not a lot you can always do with someone when they're in that defensive place. Sometimes you can get through to them and explain to them. Sometimes, mm -hmm. but, yeah. but but I I've kind of, in my own experience, the 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 most useful thing can be focusing where there are the positives, and I totally agree with you. I mean, it takes the white community to really be willing to have enough allies show up to, to, to break it down. Because without that, then, you know, it's, it's still a hard battle on the wrong shoulders. Yeah. It should be on those of us in the white community to, to be able to adjust and come to terms with it. And yeah, it isn't always easy and it's uncomfortable sometimes, but it's not that hard. You know what I mean? It's not, you know, there, there, there's real suffering and there's having to be uncomfortable while you navigate something that's in all of our, energetic structures so i i too have been really heartened by what i'm seeing out there and also the things that we're trying to put into place to adjust and adapt and kind yeah. of just recognize uh you know that the 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 how the screen has looked for so many years is not how it should be looking going forward and here's why right
Yeah. Um, it reminds me of there's this organization um, called a call a call to men, if I'm not mistaken. And I, I remember hearing the the founder of it speak somewhere, and I think it it, it focuses on young boys, young men, um, and how and their and challenges the view of like masculinity and what's like you know and and how they how women are perceived and how men treat women and you know the idea of sexism and so and the reason he said that the reason he started the organization was because he felt like if you know if it were up to women there would be no there would be no misogyny there would be no rape there would be no you know uh, there would be no sexism. So if it's because we've been talking about it, we've been fighting for it, we've been fighting for equality for like, you know, forever. So that means that the onus is on the way men look at it. Right. And so he um, he's been working with young men um, and just sort of like challenging these stereotypes, you know, not just for just for themselves, too, so that they can liberate themselves from whatever, you know, that is. And I think similarly, um, it's the same thing with racism. It's like if it were up to us, there would be no racism. Nobody wants to be like, you know, totally. profiled and beaten or killed or, you know, mistreated or not given an opportunity. Like if it were up to us, that wouldn't be happening. So that means that somebody else has to really, uh, you know, take the reins or, 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 or you know, take ownership of that and, and fight to change that. For sure. And it's funny because it only takes a certain amount of stories from your friends, colleagues, or loved ones who are people of color mm-hmm. for it to just, yeah, kind of, you know, as, as someone who's been white all my life and never had to deal with any of those issues, it's kind of horrifying when you, you know, when you first start to learn the stories and hear the stories. And then of course, Stephen and I, so Stephen, my husband is African-American and I'm reminded he's African-American certain times when we're out the house in much the same way that I'm reminded that we're an interracial relationship Mm -hmm. in a way that neither of us ever think about the color of each other's skin when we're just in relation to each other in the house. Mm -hmm. Our cats don't think about, oh, he's white, he's black. They don't. But it's interesting how when you go out into the framework of society, or I remember when we first got together, we'd been together about a year and we moved to LA and there were quite a few stories of um, profilings. And, you know, I I literally for the first time in my life had to worry about him going out in the car by himself. And Mm. he too was nervous because we were in a new environment and it was, and, you know, and that, that kind of stuff is, I think until you've lived with it or been up close and personal with it, certainly for me, until I was up close and personal with it, it wasn't in my daily consciousness and awareness. And equally, some of the people in our life who are white and who perhaps have a much whiter life and a much whiter group of friends. There's a couple of them that I've had conversations with and some are very empathetic and then others you can see they don't actually know what you're talking about. And I, I get it because I wouldn't either if, if I only knew white people and had never really. So it, it's a very tricky thing because I understand why, white, why, why the white reaction of defensiveness comes up. Mm-hmm. And I understand people going, well, I'm not racist. And but but not being able to go beyond that is 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 a tricky it's a trick you know it's it's complicated and it's it's historic emotionally as well yeah yeah so it's it's good to see it's good to see this wrestling and reckoning and and change happening so i agree yeah so, i feel i feel hopeful 
Me too. Me too. I don't, I mean, know, how, I don't know how it's possible. <laughs> no, I'm with you. You know, it's interesting. It's interesting because, you know, I, I, I've been, I've been talking to my guides for 22 years. Again, not something I went looking for, not something I ever thought I would do, not something I ever really wanted to have to talk about. But lo and behold, it's funny where you end up. And they have said for several years, they have said that this period of history up, up to and through 2024 was going to be tough and was going to be rough. Mm -hmm. um, but that after this period of history, things would start to get easier and lighter and brighter. And of course, it's interesting because none of us want to hear that there's four more years, you know, you're like, oh, but it, but it has given me a slightly different, because um, I first heard that like four years ago, by the way, and, and they kind of talk about each year as each year is coming and I just track it. And I'm like, well, there's pretty accurate. Every, some of the, the things that I take from those messages are pretty accurate for me and for the yeah. community that receive those messages. So it's actually given me a bit more of a long game view around this period of history. So even though like everybody, I have my days where you're like, oh my God, please, you know, mm -hmm. um, how you react and how you feel the world being on fire. It's also made me think, okay, you know, this, this is not an overnight transformation and it's an uncomfortable, messy one right now. But I'm with you in terms of what we're seeing in the consciousness changing for people and how consciousness becomes action and becomes what we then do and what we put in as structures. So, yeah, it's, um, it's a patience game, but it's a, it's a, it's a powerful time. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So what are you excited about or keen to get on with in the next year or two? Not that I want to take away the fact that you've just had a nice sit down. We don't <laughs> want to get you out your chair too quickly. Oh, but, yeah. yeah. What are you excited about with, with your work and the work that you bring to the world and, and what you're doing? Oh, I, I'm excited about, um, and I think and I'll, I will say this for clarification, I got a nice sit down for about a month and then it was just, I'm sure like everybody oh. all of a sudden, I don't know, how is it so, how is it possible to be so busy without going anywhere? Oh, <laughs> so. I had the same thing. I was so envious of all these people who were saying, oh, I'm clearing out my closet. And I was like, oh my God, because we, you know, we had to close down a load of events, reorganize things. And I also yeah. felt everyone on fire. So I didn't, I, you know, I felt like I wanted to be there for that. But yeah, I'm with you. But no, it, trust me, I know that you you sitting down for a month is like a long time. If ever you sit down for like 10 months, I'm going to be like, she's not okay. There's something wrong with her. This is not her. Um, I think what I'm really looking forward to um, is like, is me, um, is living, like really living my life. And it's just like, and what I mean by that is like regular things, like, I want to garden <laughs> or I want to like, you know, really seriously talk about expanding our family. I want to, um, you know, we, we own this house in the Bronx, is, uh, which you've have been to. But yeah, and so, and, um, but I want to, you know, uh, spend more time with family and I want to, you know, maybe buy a house in a, in, in a tropical place, you know, um, so that that quality of life thing i'm really interested in uh in exploring you know coming up and then also i really want to 
I want to, I'm not interested in gigs anymore in the way that when I was younger, I'm like, okay, what's the next thing? And what's the next thing? What's the next thing? I do have work that's coming up that I'm really excited about. Um, I'm starting to um, sort of continue uh, delve into a show that I did a couple of years ago at Spoleto Arts Festival. And I believe that I'm going to get some great support because of my lecture at Harvard. Like things have sort of like moving in that way. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited about really when, when I, uh, what I said before about amplifying the message, you know, um, uh, about, you know, sharing my love of this art form, sharing my experience and, and the lessons that I've learned through this. Um, I really am looking forward to that, to yeah. that getting some more air, air time, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? I'm, I'm looking forward to that too, for, for you and for the world. And, um, oh. Ayo, thank you so much for joining us today. It's it's uh, it's been as lovely as I expected it to be, and it's also been really educational. And um, we are going to share in the show notes a link to the speech that you referred to during your fellowship, so that anybody who wants to go to YouTube can watch it. We'll also put the links to your website and all your work. But uh, Ayo Deli Cassell, thank you so much for the way that you impact the world, and I love you very much. Oh, I love you too. Thank you so much. I'm just so thrilled and honored. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So thank you everybody for tuning in and we will be back next week. And as I said, go to the show notes to find out more about Aya Delhi. And in the meantime, lots of love from all of us here at Impact the World. Rebirth has been an annual transformation program that I and my team offer every January for the last four years. This year, Rebirth 2021 will be quite different to prior years because 2020 was very different to prior years in general as a whole for all of us. So a couple of things came to me for Rebirth 2021. I wanted to deliver all of the modules live prior years we have done a lot of pre-recorded material but this year everything will be delivered live and then there will be full replays available within 24 hours of the live broadcast. My guides the Z's are going to be a huge part of this year's rebirth. We held transmissions in August and it was an incredible experience and it was allowing my guides to bring through the next level of information and one of the themes that they have talked about for 2021 and beyond is us becoming more creators of our lives. They're talking about how we create our lives every day through our energy and also how we can take different actions to animate our sense of purpose, our sense of connection to life, but also the life and the world that we're creating right now and how important that is in the years to come. So Rebirth 2021 will have that focus as its main theme, next level creation. And then across each broadcast, we're going to look at creating from a metaphysical and a grounded standpoint. Stephen Washington will again be bringing his work to Rebirth. So there will be a module called Activating Your Creative Body. And as soon as you sign up, you will receive the channeled audio MP3 and sound healing, which is called Creating Through Chaos and being here for love. We can't wait to get started with you. The program begins on January 19th and you will have lifetime access to the material once we have finished on January 29th. 
So if you're looking for a rebirth or to up-level your way of creating in your life, we would love to have you join us for Rebirth 2021. You can visit rebirth2021.com or my website leeharrisenergy.com for all the details.